0: I'm honored to speak tonight on this topic. I want to start by thanking Pastor Redlin for giving me this honor. I'm honored to be in the lineup of speakers, and I, I really believe uh, uh, Dr. Amsbaugh did a masterful job of presenting the timelines. And then I'm looking forward to Dr. Molonec's to come. I do want to go on record, a uh, matter of public record, to say I agreed with Dr. Amsbaugh in every point except for one. I talked to I talked to him about this earlier today, but I do disagree with Dr. Emsbaugh on one point, and that is, I believe there will be roast beef and mashed potatoes at the marriage supper. I do believe that. And brother, I think I have some backing on this. If you go to the the, uh, parable of the prodigal son, you know the son came home and the father said, kill the fatted calf. And I, I think there may be some prophetic imagery there. I'm still working on this theory. Okay, and I'll get back to you on that. I'm going to study that through. It might be the topic of my next book, There's the Beef, okay? So I'll get back to you on that. But uh, anyway, didn't he do an amazing job and uh, covered a lot of ground? I'm going to focus in on the rapture tonight. And there's so much I could say about the rapture, so much that could be said, I'm going to get uh, to as much as I possibly can in the time allowed, so please pray for me. Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, a classic passage on the rapture, and this will be the passage that makes our outline tonight. The title of this seminar is Ready for the Rapture, Ready for the Rapture. Let's look at verses 16 through 18. Of 1 Thessalonians 4, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a, what everyone? With a shout, I like that, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be, what's the next two words? Caught up, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Read verse 18 with me, would you please? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. And I pray that these words tonight will be a comfort to, do, to you and an encouragement to you. And that we will, we will gain a greater awareness of what's coming and be ready for it. The Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. Two questions before we get into the outline tonight. First question tonight, Is the rapture a delusion? Is the rapture a delusion? For hundreds of years, Christians have looked ahead with great anticipation and expectation. In the the midst of extreme trial, in the midst of extreme temptation and tragedy, Christians for hundreds of years have, have looked forward to the rapture. Maybe it will be the next tick on the clock maybe it will be the next blink of the eye maybe it will be the next beat of the heart maybe today my lord will come for me are we deluded are we are we just hoping against hope because although this has been a source of great comfort and hope for god's people during those same centuries christians have died not seeing that day I would propose to you this evening that it would be easy for us to let this hope wither and go about our days without an acute awareness of what is coming. Peter said in his second book, he said, many will say in the last days, where's the promise of his coming? They'll scoff and say, where's the promise of his coming? And Peter said, let's not be ignorant, brethren a day is as a thousand years a thousand years as a day the lord is not slack concerning his promise he will come again he said in that same passage the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night now the day of the lord technically starts with the judgment but the rapture precedes it so we could include that in the equation he's saying it's coming as a thief in the night but it's coming don't listen to the scoffers don't be ignorant my brethren be aware be aware the Lord could come at any time speaking of Peter speaking of Peter who wrote that we read about we read about in the Bible where Peter and the rest of the disciples were asleep at the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus and as we read that passage we may be thinking didn't they know what was coming how could they be asleep didn't they see it? Pastor Redland mentioned this uh, Sunday morning. In fact, we might we might we might see Peter and the other disciples in heaven and walk up to them and say, "I just have to ask this question." I mean, what were you guys thinking? You were right there at the at the most crucial event of all world history and you were asleep. Be careful. He might turn around and say to you what were you thinking you were there at the culmination of all world history you were there at the time of the coming the second coming of Jesus Christ and you were asleep and so as Pastor Redland preached on Sunday morning we need to wake up we need to wake up as believers because our salvation is nearer than when we believed The rapture is closer today than it was yesterday. And it could happen today. Question number two, are we ready then for the rapture? Are we ready for the rapture? When I was a young person growing up uh, in church, my dad was a pastor in rural Michigan. On Sunday evenings on the summer months in Michigan, uh, after the evening service, all the kids would go outside and play hide and go seek. We'd play hide and seek in the churchyard and there was this tree in the corner. That was the base and the person that was it would go up to the tree and start to count. And they'd count down from 10. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And then they would say, what everyone? Ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, here I come. And I'm here to tell you this evening that it seems like conditions on the earth are building toward a point of conclusion. All history is moving toward it. Although there are no signs preceding the rapture, certain conditions are developing that give us the indication that it is is around the corner. And so let's be ready in our day Here are some truths from the passage. Would you write them in your notes, please? Here are some truths about the rapture that will encourage our readiness. Some truths from this passage that will encourage our readiness. And then we'll jump off into other passages as well as we consider these topics. First of all, I want you to notice the selective nature of the rapture. The selective nature of the rapture. This passage says that there will be a generation of Christians who will escape death because they'll be caught up in the air with Christ at the rapture. And we see that this is for Christians only. Look what it says. Verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead, who? The dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, the dead in Christ... Uh, will receive their permanent glorified body they have some physical corporal form right now I would believe but they don't have their permanent glorified body and so their bodies are resurrected at this time so it's the dead in Christ that rise first look how it reads then we in the context it would be those alive in Christ we which are alive in Christ We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's clear from this passage and others that the rapture is only for believers. I know this is a simple point, but this compels everyone in the room to make your calling and election sure. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you're saved. I think when we have the first gathering of believers in heaven, we might be shocked at first of all who's there, but we also may be shocked at who's not there. I say we may be shocked at who's there. I've told this to many people uh, who who don't know if their dying relative has made a decision for Christ. I I say to them, have you given that person the gospel? Have they heard the gospel? Yes. Well, you can hold out hope that they could pray and receive Christ right before their last breath. Who believes that? Amen? They could receive Christ at their last breath. And so we might get to heaven and go, wow, I didn't didn't really think they would be here. And then where's where's brother so-and-so? Where's sister so-and-so? And so this truth alone compels us to be ready by making sure we're born-again believers. Now, Jesus promised his people that he would come again. The Bible does not use the term second coming, but Jesus did promise his people that he would come again. As we read through the teaching on this, we realize there are two phases to his coming. First of all, there's the rapture. This is Jesus coming for his church saints in the clouds Jesus coming for his saints in the clouds then there will follow a tribulation period by the way Dr. Amsbaugh mentioned this the tribulation period begins with the Antichrist making a covenant of peace with Israel the tribulation does not begin with the rapture the rapture Uh, The rapture precedes the tribulation, but the tribulation doesn't begin with the rapture. So there could be this gap. How long? We would assume it wouldn't be that long, but there's going to be a gap between the rapture and the time the Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel. And so, but then there's this tribulation period. There's this time of great tribulation. There's two, three and a half periods uh, uh, equaling seven years of tribulation on the earth. Then there's the second phase of the coming of Christ, which we call the revelation. Jesus coming with his church saints, with his saints, from the clouds to the earth. So when you're reading a passage about the coming of the Lord, you have to discern which of the two phases is the passage referring to. To which is it referring? Is it the rapture or the revelation? The tribulation is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Why is it called that in Jeremiah 30 and verse 7? Because the tribulation is a time when God will pour out his wrath on the earth to correct and restore Israel. And also to judge unbelieving people on the earth. But it's, it's, it's a time where God is focusing on the nation of Israel. So this is an important point up front. The church does not take part in the tribulation. The church does not take part in the tribulation. We escape the tribulation. We are raptured to avoid it. We are spared the wrath of God. Now, how do we know this? By the way, let me stop here and say, there are good Bible-believing people that disagree on the details here. And uh, I acknowledge that. And you're sensible people. Uh, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll give you what I believe to be true and I'll show you the verses. You decide what you believe for yourself all right? But you have the Holy Spirit, you have the Bible in your hand, be like a Berean, you study it out. But here, here's my thoughts on this, and, and these aren't unique to me, but there are four strong inferences. To me, these are the best arguments. Four strong inferences that indicate that the church is not a present during the tribulation. Number one, no Old Testament passage about the tribulation mentions the church. No Old Testament passage about the tribulation mentions the church. In fact, in Daniel's timeline, as Dr. Amsbaugh presented, Daniel's timeline, uh, Daniel said clearly that the 70 weeks were determined upon uh, Israel, or God told him and revealed that to him. It was for his people, the Jews. The 70th week is the tribulation week, and so it's determined upon Israel. The church is not mentioned there. Number two, Here's another strong inference that indicates that the church is not in the tribulation period. No New Testament passage about the tribulation mentions the church. Reve- Revelation 4 through 18 is that, is that prophetic tribulation passage in the New Testament. And chapters 1 through 3 in Revelation mention the church. In chapter 4 we see church elders in heaven. And then from 4 to 18 there's no mention of the church whatsoever. And so that's a strong indication. Number three, this to me is the strongest reason. The church is not appointed unto God's wrath. Would you hold your place there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and just turn the page to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 9 and 10, everyone. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Delivered us from the wrath to come. That's to me is a clear statement that he is speaking to church believers who were delivered from God's wrath in the tribulation. Look at chapter five, everyone, in verse nine. Chapter 5 and verse 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. If God is pouring out His wrath on the earth to correct and restore Israel and to judge the unbelievers of the earth, why would the church be involved in that? The church would not be involved in that. We, We are not appointed unto wrath. We escape God's wrath. That's why the coming of the Lord is called the blessed hope for the New Testament believer in Titus 2.13. It's a blessed hope because we don't go through the tribulation period. One more reason, there's a pattern in scripture that God protects his people from severe impending judgment or his wrath being poured out on the earth. Enoch escaped, Noah escaped and his family. They escaped the flood. Lot was escorted out of Sodom personally. The Hebrews were sheltered from the death angel in Egypt, Rahab and her family. And we could look at others in the Bible where God said, wrath is coming, I'm gonna take my believers out. Wrath is coming, I'm gonna take my believers out. And so for those four reasons and others, we believe that the church is not present in the tribulation. Here's another reason, and I'm gonna spend some time on this. 1 Corinthians 15, would you turn there please? 1 Corinthians 15, hold your place in 1 Thessalonians. And look at 1 Corinthians 15, another classic rapture passage, in verses 51 and 52. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Paul says, behold, I show you a, what everyone? A mystery. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Uh, Somebody posted that in a church nursery. I thought that was good. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I thought that was great too. a little, anyway. Now, 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall, we shall be changed. But Paul says, related to the rapture, this event is a mystery. What does the word mean? It means a previously unrevealed truth. It doesn't mean something murky or something hard to understand. It means something that wasn't revealed earlier. He uses this term mystery in relation to the church. He uses it in relation to the Gentiles and Jews coming in in one common body. And here concerning the rapture, he says the rapture was a previously unrevealed truth. Now this is instructive because the Bible previously addresses the resurrection of the dead, the tribulation, the coming of Christ, yes, but it gives no details concerning the rapture. That helps us when we look at Matthew 24. Now, when Dr. Amsbaugh was speaking, I said, I'm very interested in what he has to say about Matthew 24, because I think it's it's misinterpreted in many cases, and people take it out of its context. Let's go back to there. I don't want to uh, belabor it, but I, I want to just add to some things he said there and, and, and have you notice some things about Matthew 24. When we look at Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, the Olivet Discourse, we realize since the rapture was a mystery in 1 Corinthians or called a mystery, it couldn't have been dealt with in Matthew 24 and 25. So, what does Matthew 24 and 25 deal with? The tribulation and the revelation of Christ at the end of the tribulation so so look at how it reads Matthew 24 and verse 9 then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations who's that the Jews Israel the nation of Israel verse 14 and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. well who's the Who are the witnesses in the tribulation period? The Jews. The Jews are the witnesses that are preaching the kingdom message. Look at verse 16. Then let them which be in Judea. Well, that's a reference to Israel. Flee into the mountains. Verse 20. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. That relates to Israel. Matthew 24 and 25 is not speaking directly to the church. It's speaking to Israel now please understand me you can apply truths from Matthew 24 and 25 to the church age but you have to understand it in its context to understand its exact interpretation which helps us with the parables to follow the servant parable the parable of the virgins who don't have oil in their lamps folks Those parables in the context relate to the Jews who need to be ready for the coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation. Oh, folks, that understanding helps us to interpret Matthew 24, the end of Matthew 24, these parables properly. Look at verse 51 of Matthew 24. Speaking of this servant who's not ready for the coming of his master and shall cut him asunder and appoint his portions with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Folks, the servant is not a believer who's cast into hell. The Jews were called the servants of God. In the Old Testament, they're referred to as servants here because they've been given a stewardship of great revelation from God. Just being a Jew doesn't make you saved, but you've been given a stewardship of great revelation. So these are unbelieving Jews in the tribulation who are cast into the lake of fire. Do you see how that makes sense? Now go to the parable of the the virgins. The parable chapter 25, the foolish virgins who have no oil, those are Jewish people. And then the parable of the talents as well. This helps us understand verse 30 of Matthew 25. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is not an unbeliever who's cast into hell. This is an unbelieving, uh, this is not a believer, excuse me. Not a church age believer cast into hell. That can't happen because a church age believer can't lose his salvation. So the servant is not a church-age believer. The servant is an unbelieving Jew who is not ready for the Lord's return and, and has the revelation and does nothing with it. You say, how do you know that, Pastor Zach? Because look at verse 31. This context continues into the judgment of nations at the end of the tribulation. Look at verse 31 of Matthew 25. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory, and before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate one from the other, as a shepherd divided the sheep from the goats. And what will be one of the discerning factors? What will be one of the determining factors when he separates the sheep from the goats? Look at verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, and as much as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren. Folks, in the context, that's the Jews. He's saying to Gentile nations... It, it, your salvation is determined in part by the effect or the fruit of your salvation being how you treated the Jewish people during the tribulation. And so if you read the context, the church is not there. We can apply it to church age life, but the church is not there. This is not about the rapture. This is about the tribulation and the church is not in the tribulation. That's how Paul, go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter four that's how Paul could say that the rapture is a mystery a previously unrevealed truth I went fast through that I hope that makes sense uh that the church is not in the tribulation the church is not in the tribulation we are raptured we're taken out of here amen before that starts praise God we're removed from the earth now there are some people today, please understand my heart, good born again brothers and sisters in Christ, who believe that we will go through part of the tribulation. There was, there's a recent position that's been popular called the pre-wrath rapture position that started in 1990. They would say this, yes, we escape the wrath of God, but the wrath of God doesn't start until about halfway through the tribulation. So we go through the first part, but we escape the last part. Now there was a guy in our church in Connecticut um, who believed this. And I said, you can be a member here. You're in essential agreement with us. This is, this, you believe in Jesus coming again. Uh, this, is, this is a minor point of disagreement. But he and I went back and forth on this by email. And I mean, we, I, I don't know how many emails back and forth. I was trying to convince him of a pre-tribulational rapture. He was trying to convince me of pre-wrath rapture. I got frustrated, frustrated because I thought he wasn't listening. So I said in an email, uh, if you want to go through the rapture, go ahead. Or, excuse me. If you want to go through the tribulation, go ahead. I'm going to get out of here. Something to that effect. And I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't have typed that. In fact, when I was done typing, that, I said, that was not. I told him, if you want to go through the tribulation, go ahead. I'm getting out of here before it starts. And my wife said to me, I think you need to stop emailing this guy. And I found when my wife speaks, it's the Holy Spirit every time. So I just, I just stopped. No, I'm just joking. But she was right. But uh, I got frustrated. But he and I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I didn't convince him. But he believed that we were going to go through part of the tribulation. I want to show you where this teaching comes from, uh, the basis of it. Go to Revelation 6 and verse 17. And I believe the pre-wrath rapture proponents wrongly interpret this verse as the basis of their position. And I think this verse actually bolsters our position that we will be raptured before the full tribulation period. Revelation 6, verse 17, after the seal judgments, the people that are in the, on the earth say this, for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? So the pre-wrath rapture proponents say, see, the wrath hasn't started yet. We say this, the phrase is come is translated from an aorist active indicative verb in the Greek. So in modern English, we could say it this way, is here. Is here is here. The, when they said the, the wrath is come, they're saying we're in, we're in it. These, these judgments that had happened, they were saying this is it. They were experiencing it all wet ready. And so this is easy to understand if God is using the tribulation to purge and prepare Israel and punish the unbelieving world why would he pour out his wrath on the church? He would not. He takes the church out of the way. We don't experience his wrath. We're not appointed unto his wrath. We're not mentioned in these passages. And so we're raptured out of the way. So go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That was point number one. I've got a long way to go. Here we go. So we looked at the selective nature of the rapture the rapture is only for believers let's look at point number two the sudden nature of the rapture the sudden nature of the rapture now the word rapture is not found in the bible it comes from a latin word meaning seize or snatch up or catch away but the greek equivalent is found in 1 thessalonians 4 17. There it is. Then we which are alive and remain shall be what again, everyone? We'll be caught up. There it is. We're going to be snatched away. And so the implication is this, that people are going about their daily lives, doing doing their daily duties, and then suddenly they are snatched away. Suddenly they are taken away from this earth, which leads to this point The New Testament teaches that the rapture is an imminent event. It's an imminent event. The word imminent comes from a Latin meaning overhang or hanging over your head, hanging over your head. Now we all can relate to this. Have you ever had something hanging over your head? Like not literally, but a bill coming due, a dental appointment, (laughs) amen or oh me on that one. A, uh, um, maybe you had some blood work done and, and the results are coming in. You might have a disease and so you're waiting on that. It's due, it's coming in. A work evaluation is due. And so something's hanging over your head. That's what the word means. The rapture is spoken of as an imminent event, which means it's likely to happen at any moment, it's impending, it's imminent. Look at this verse, 1 Peter 1, 5 says, our salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. The culmination of our salvation is ready to be revealed. As you study this through, what you come to realize is there's no prophetic signs preceding the rapture. There's no prophetic signs that need to happen before the rapture. Now, Dr. Amsbaugh covered this, but let me expand a little upon it. Jesus did predict that in A.D. 70, we know it now that it was A.D. 70, but he did predict that Jerusalem would be invaded, the temple would be destroyed. But the the two books that contained that prophecy were distributed only a, a few short years before that event, and Jesus didn't say it would precede the rapture. He said it would precede the tribulation, which starts with the Antichrist making a covenant with Israel. So that that does not cause a problem for the imminency of the rapture. Also, Jesus said that Peter would die. He prophesied that Peter would die in a certain way, and he would die um, before John. But the book of John was distributed to the churches many years after Peter's death. So that didn't factor into their thinking. So when you study this out, what you come to realize is when when the Apostle Paul and Peter and John spoke of this occasion, this event, they spoke of it as an imminent thing. Let me show you that. uh, And I'll quote some and then show you some on the screen. 1 Corinthians 1-7 talks about waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus. The book, the same book ends with Paul using an Ar, uh, Aramaic expression. He says, Maranatha, our Lord, come. Our Lord, come. You're to be waiting for the Lord. And then he said, come, Lord, come. In Philippians 4, in verse 5, Paul said, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now look at this one. Uh, Let's look at this one together. Everyone go to James chapter 5, if you would. James chapter 5. Let's look at verses 7 through 9. And this to me is definitive. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. And James says this. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord, everyone, draweth nigh. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Look at the next verse. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge, say it with me, standeth before the door. The the Lord is drawing nigh? The Lord is drawing nigh, and the Lord standeth at the, before the door. Standeth before the door. Both those verb phrases, draweth nigh and standeth before the door, are translated from Greek words that are in the perfect tense, in the indicative mood. And what this means is an action completed in the past with ongoing results. Or an action that starts in the past with ongoing results. In other words, here's how we would say it. The Lord was drawing nigh and still is drawing nigh. The Lord was standing before the door and he still is standing before the door. That verse alone, if all we had was that verse alone, we would see that the rapture is an imminent event because he's saying it was imminent before, it's imminent now, the Lord's coming could happen at any moment. And then the Bible ends with this mindset in Revelation 22, verse 7 and 12, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. Revelation 22:20, 20, Surely I come quickly. By the way, that doesn't mean soon. He wasn't saying, Behold, I come soon. It means suddenly. Quickly means suddenly. Behold, I come suddenly. Suddenly, Soon not soon excuse me suddenly quickly it could be soon we don't know it could be a hundred years from now it could be a thousand years from now we don't know but the Lord is telling us to be ready at any moment in fact in first John 3 in verse 3 this is going to come up as well in first John 3 in verse 3 John says about the appearance of the Lord that every man that has this hope in him purifies himself Every man who has this hope in him purifies himself. Since we don't know when it would happen, and it could happen at any moment, if you have the hope that you could face the Lord at any moment, that is a purifying and motivating doctrine. He says this in the previous chapter, and now, little children, chapter 2, verse 28, abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Little children, abide in, in Christ. Stay close to Christ. Stay in close communication and communion with Christ so that you have confidence and are not ashamed at his coming. I can relate to this because my dad, I can picture my dad doing this many times. He would say, uh, mom's not at, at home. It was only dad. It's on a Saturday or something. I don't know what it was. Mom's at the grocery store. And dad said, I got I to gotta run over to the church for a second. We lived across the parking lot from the church. So my brother Dan, my sister and I were in the house and dad would say, I'm going to the church for a few minutes, don't do anything you're not supposed to do. And then he would, we would see him, we'd all be looking out the window and watching him walk across to the church. And at times, we were good. And then there were other times. One of the things we were never supposed to do was go going, going in mom and dad's bedroom and jump on their bed. And, and that made mom and dad very upset when we did that. So uh, I never forget, one time my dad said, guys, I'm going over to the church for a few minutes. Don't do anything you're not supposed to do. And uh, we watched him go over and then we started jumping on the bed. I think my sister Cheryl started it. Really, I was just going along. I really did, Dan after her, then me. I, I, I mean, I was just pressured into it, honestly. I didn't wanna be there. Um, but I was, I was jumping enthusiastically just because they were, and I didn't want them to feel bad. Okay, so I'm jumping on the bed, and uh, I'll never forget, I think my dad did this on purpose. He slipped in the door. He knew we were doing something we shouldn't. He probably sensed it, and he came into his bedroom, and uh, I believe I was in the air when he came in, so there was no excuses. I was in the air, um, and uh, he was very upset. And he said, I told you, I told you not to misbehave. And so a child not knowing when their parents are coming home, they're motivated to stay out of mischief. We got in big trouble that day. One time um, I was visiting uh, as a youth pastor in North Carolina. This was back in the uh, 90s. When you could just show up at people's home unannounced all right and it was, we, we, we did it all the time we went visiting all saturdays all day saturday pretty much and we'd knock on people's doors hey you know and visitors guests nowadays you need to call ahead i think uh, people don't go for that anymore but uh we would just we would just show up and i'll never forget i was visiting a i was visiting a new person in the church and i had the card to go visit them and, and so i i pushed the doorbell And uh, I see, I see the blinds, you know, come out and somebody's looking through the blinds. And then I hear, I hear, it's Pastor Zach. And then the vacuum started running. I'm like, I, you guys know I'm standing here and, and they're, they're trying to quick, hurry, clean up the family room or whatever. And I stood there for about five minutes while they vacuumed their their living room. And then they opened the door and, hi, Pastor Zad, good to see you. Jesus said, I'm coming. He said, it's going to be sudden. He said, it's going to come in, in a sudden manner. It's imminent. It could happen any moment. Folks, we don't want to be caught in a state of clutter, uncleanness. Sin, shameful sin. It's a motivating doctrine. It's meant to be. He did it this way on purpose. It's a motivating and purifying doctrine. And people with a proper belief in a pre-tribulational rapture, they live with that same vigilant posture. Maybe today, It could be today. You say, Pastor Zach, I've been in church for years and I've heard this over and over and over and over. I've heard it again and again and again from this preacher and that preacher and now you tonight and it's no less true. It could happen right now. There's nothing to stop the rapture from happening. One more truth. And I think this is the best one to close on. Let's go back to the passage, 1 Thessalonians. Thank you for staying with me. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 through 18. We talked about the selectivity, the selective nature of the rapture, that it's only for believers. We talked about the sudden nature of the rapture. It's imminent. It could happen at any moment. We're seized away, caught up, snatched away from this earth suddenly. Last of all, the sure nature of the rapture. For the Lord himself, what's the next word, everyone? Shall. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Verse 18, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He shall descend. Hundreds of Old Testament prophecies announced the coming of the Messiah the first time. Daniel gave the exact timing and he nailed it. And Jesus came just as was prophesied. He came, he lived on this earth for 33 years and then he died and he rose again from the dead just like he said he was going to do. And before he left, he left many infallible proofs. He stayed because he wanted to leave many infallible proofs. And then he gathers his his disciples and he ascended into heaven. And as he ascended into heaven, two angels stood beside the disciples and said, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. Interesting, he went from the ground to the clouds, and then from the clouds to the abode of his Father in the third heaven. And he said, I'm coming the same way. But they said, why stand you here gazing? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come. He's coming back. The rapture is to be considered with confident optimism. Our hope is a confident expectation. Christians are told in our day to be prepared with hopeful anticipation. Not dread. Not dread. Hopeful anticipation. Nowhere is this spirit better described than in Titus 2, 11 through 13. Titus 2, 11 through 13 reads, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, the universal appeal of the gospel. I love that passage. It's appeared to all men. Teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Why? 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 Why should we deny ungodliness? Why should we resist the moral, morally degrading aspects of this culture, this, this evil world? Why should we resist worldly lust? Why should we live godly? Why should we be sober, righteous, and godly in this present world? Because as the end, we're looking, as the ends, we are looking for that blessed hope, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the spring of 1942, during the Second World War, American General Douglas MacArthur was forced to leave the Filipino islands because of the Imperial Japanese invasion Later, he sent word back to the Philippines saying, I shall return. He had to leave. His army had to leave, but he said, I shall return. And he did. In the meantime, try to imagine the thoughts of the people of the Philippine Islands as they saw the Allied forces and their commander leaving them. I'm sure they were thinking about what it would be like under an oppressive rule. It, it, would General McCarthy really be, MacArthur really be true to his word? Will he really come back like he said he would? How long will it take for him to come? Is he really going to come? And if you know your history, you know what happened. In January of 1945, General Douglas MacArthur was able to make that move With his army, he did return to the Philippines just as he said he would. This right here is a a statue of this event. Many of you know that on the way to the shoreline, his boat pulled up to a pontoon platform that the Seabees had built for him so that a general would not have to get wet and walk in the water. But General MacArthur ordered the boat to pull back so he could walk on the shore like every other soldier entered that beach. He said, I'm gonna walk in the water. What a scene, he got out of the boat and in knee deep water or so and walked up to the shore. One of the iconic, iconic events of World War II in American history, why? Because he said, I shall return and he did. And he took over that place. And he freed the Filipino people. Jesus says to us today, I will come again. I will come again, and he will. He promised, and he will. If you'll come next Wednesday, I'm going to show you that even though no prophetic signs need to happen before the rapture, there are certain conditions developing that are leading to the tribulation descriptions in the bible that show us that the rapture may be right around the corner we'll look at that next wednesday and i pray that as we look at those things we'll get even a a greater desire for what's ahead but jesus said we can count on it we can bank on it it's gonna happen jesus said i will come again the question is will be we will we be ready for the rapture will we be ready Will you be ready? Will I be ready?